0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 517. He took a drink and paused, changing the subject. Hespy offered to share a room with him tonight, he said casually. Really? I said, more than slightly surprised. She's getting bolder. He gave a slow nod. And? I prompted. And nothing. Dayden said he'd be damned before he spent money on a room he should have for free. He slid his eyes to me and raised an eyebrow. You're not serious, I said flatly. He has to know. He's just playing the simpleton because he doesn't like her. I don't think so, Martin said, turning toward me and lowering his voice a bit. Three span ago, we finished a caravan job from Raelian. It was a long haul, and Dayden and me had a pocketful of coin and nothing in particular to do with it, so by the end of the night we're sitting in this grubby little dockside tavern too drunk to stand up and leave. And he starts talking about her. Martin shook his head slowly. He went on for an hour, and you wouldn't have recognized the woman he was describing as our hard-eyed Hespy. He practically sang about her. He sighed. He thinks she's too good for him. And he's convinced if he so much as looked at her sideways, he'd end up with his arm broken in three places. Why didn't you tell him? Tell him what? That was before she started going all cow-eyed over him. I thought his worries were fairly sensible at the time. What do you think Hespy would do to you if you were to give her a friendly pat on any of her friendlier parts? I looked over to where Hesby stood at the bar. One foot tapped roughly in time to the rhythm of the fiddle. Other than that, the set of her shoulders, her eyes, the line of her jaw were all hard, almost belligerent. There was a small but noticeable gap between her and the men standing on either side of her at the bar. I probably wouldn't risk my arm either, I admitted. But he has to know by now. He isn't blind. He's no worse off than the rest of us. I started to protest, then glanced at the red-haired serving girl. We could tell him, I said. You could. He trusts you. Martin sucked at his teeth with his tongue. Nah, he said, setting his drink down firmly. It would just make things muddier. Either he'll see it or he won't. In his own time, in his own way. He shrugged. Or not, and the sun will still rise in the morning. Neither of us spoke for a long while. Martin watched the buzzing room, but the page ended. My name's Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. So Martin, a good sense of judge of character, a very still insightful. Um, it it muddies my point a little bit that apparently Dayton just got drunk and told him all of this, but I still think that he is, uh, he has a, a rough wisdom.
1: How do you feel about his decision about how they shouldn't tell him? Like, what are your what are your thoughts on that?
0: I don't really feel strongly that it's like the right or the wrong choice. I think it speaks to Martin's worldview where. He is sort of a go with the flow kind of guy. He's not too, he's, he's probably seen too much and, and lived too long to really get worked up over small things. He understands that, uh, in, you know, you might not want to risk causing trouble or causing harm, uh, that one way or another things work out or they don't, and life goes on. It tells us something about the kind of person he is. Very well. It also tells us that he's like not
2: inclined to play matchmaker. And that makes me think that he he's not particularly close with either of these folks. Like, they're his co-workers, but they're not really his friends. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't necessarily, if you knew that two of your coworkers liked each other, you probably, like, you might not try to set them up. If you knew that two of your friends were, like, you know, were not picking up each other's signals, you might try to steer that in a certain direction. Reasonable. But at the same time, they also, he and Dayton also have the kind of relationship where they can like go out and get plastered at a bar together after they finished a job. But it also we also Rothis introduces us to the idea that Kvoth and Dayton already, like, this is taken as red between them that that Hesby has been flirting with with Dayton and Dayton has not been responding to it. They both already know that.
0: Yeah, well, flirting in her way. Like, it, and it's think it's funny that Quoth says, "How could he? How could Dayton not not pick up on that?" And then immediately thinks of of Losi and goes, "Oh, right." Like, that's extremely <laughs> extremely likely. Mm-hmm. Men do be like that.
2: Yeah, well, and it is easier to tell when someone is flirting with someone else than they're, than when they're flirting with you. I think, at least in my experience.
0: Yeah, I certainly remember thinking like oh is is this flirting or is this being friendly i don't want to be wrong Mm -hmm. and so oftentimes it's it's you know safer to err on the side of friendliness yes yes that sounds reasonable i mean
2: is it though (laughs) it sounds reasonable to you when you're when you're 15 and you don't want to like risk anything
0: yeah, something I've learned, uh, and I'm sure this is I'm gonna sound like a broken record here, but when it comes to flirting, open and honest communication is the, way <laughs> is the only way. Well Yeah, but that, the, only, the only
2: way to go. Being direct is like the opposite of flirting though. The whole point of flirting is can the, still flirt and be direct. I don't know. I think like the point of flirting is that you are being coy.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know if oh, you. Yeah, but like... like when the
0: time comes to seal the deal, you got to be open about it. You can be coy and and like flirt and have some fun, but then when it's like, okay, let's you know, breath tax. I like you. Do you like me? Yeah, but you 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 can only get to that stage after a certain amount
2: of coy flirtation. Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. But if you're flirting with somebody, you like you don't start up and go, "Yo, I think you're pretty." That's not flirting. That's something else. <laughs> what, is, what is that that's like i come on
1: oh that's, that's i Losey totally <laughs> thought those were the same thing
2: no like flirting I mean, is like be. like when i think of flirting i think of like you know you're chatting with someone you're like making some like double entendres or some witty remarks you're trying to come off as like clever and fun maybe you're like saying some things that are suggestive because you're trying to gauge the other person's interest. And part of the fun of it is playing this game of like, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Are you responding to my double entendres with double entendres of your own? Are you, are we both, is the subtext of our conversation that we're interested in each other without it rising to the level of text? Once it rises to the level of text, then it's no longer flirting, in my opinion.
1: Okay. I didn't know there were... Such specific thing.
2: I think that's particularly why teenagers their flirtations can be awkward because A, you're still learning how to do it and B you your ability to like judge the social situation you're in is not always good when you're a teenager so it's harder to pick up the signals because you don't know what the signals are and you might be interpreting them wrong which is why I think so much teenage flirtation it kind of fizzles out because one or both parties, you're going, Oh, they weren't flirting with me, they were just being nice.
1: I see. And what
2: eventually, is- someone has to get direct and go, Hey,
0: do you like me? That's right. And then you revert to the old classic, passing them a note that says, Do you like me? Yes, no, maybe, with checkboxes.
1: Yeah,
2: you, or,
0: that or that you
1: pass. That sounds adorable.
2: Or you got to do one of those like little like folding origami things.
1: But then you have to count on someone unfolding your origami.
2: No, no, oh, no! It's like oh, a fortune teller. Oh, you, you, he you means like, he means then,
1: the 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 four like the four square looking thing where you pick a color and then they do the like.
0: Yeah, the, like, I understood those two, three, were called cootie catchers, but I'm never I was never sure why they were called that. I think that but anyway, you you have to read the bones of the cootie catcher, and if it says that you're destined to be together, or you could also do a mash note. You know, you draw a box and you write the letters M A S H, and you. You figure, will you live in a mansion? Will you live in a... What does A stand for in that? An wait, how is
1: a, how is that an
0: alley, a shack, or a house?
1: Okay, wait, wait, but how is that flirting in any way, shape, or form? Or how does that answer any questions?
0: I mean, the real, the real answer to that question, the non-joke answer to that, is that it's a way to like explore and express these feelings in a way that has deniability when you are too young to really like be able to express and explore them in any other way. Uh, that's the real answer to why those things exist, but uh, I'm—we're really just kind of riffing here now.
1: I see, I see. All right, let us. We'll have a perhaps... whole
0: Patreon episode explaining the courtship
2: rituals of the human of the human child. Oh my god, of the let's human not. tween. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> let's please not.
0: Uh, legally, we are not exploring the courtship rituals of the human tween. Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a different podcast. I
2: really like. The, just like the, the brief like cutaway gag where they look at Hespi and she's like grimly enjoying the music like with her jaw, clear, like her belligerent jaw. She's like tapping her foot with her arms crossed while someone's playing a fiddle. That's just a really funny image of her.
0: I don't know. I think of Hespi as like someone who's suffering. I don't know. Like this isn't necessarily in the text, but I think of Hespi as someone who like was dealt a bad hand and sort of ended up in a place where because of like her build, like because of her physicality, she she sort of had nowhere else to end up, but like doesn't particularly enjoy it and and like ha- pushes people away as a safety precaution because she's in such a, like a dangerous line of business. And then, you know, her, she's so unused to expressing emotion or feeling tenderness that she is only able to like awkwardly, express these things toward this guy who's a total dope i don't know like this maybe i'm projecting or something but i have a lot of sympathy for hespy and i really think of like i think of this less as like a funny moment and more of like she is despite her best efforts to like look tough and and stay aloof she like the she's enjoying the music and it's coming through in like a small way and it's like betraying a little bit of uh of sensitivity and that if she knew she was tapping her foot, she would stop. I don't know. I've never thought about why uh, I have such a deep read on Hespi, but uh, I, I always think of her as a bit of a tragic figure.
1: I think two things can be true. I think that all of that can be true about Hespi, but in the same situation, just seeing a person at a bar looking grumpy, but like, also enjoying themselves at the same time is it like it's sort of funny and like a oh, like isn't that the opposite of itself kind of thing like co- she can be a complicated character and the situation can still be like like smiley like it, both can be true
2: yeah like i don't think i have quite the 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 tragic read on her that you do, Nick, because frankly, I don't think that I've thought about her her character as deeply as you have. But I think that for me, the humor of this scene or of this image is just like the incongruity of someone with this kind of tough exterior betraying the fact that, oh, actually, they are still like a person deep down inside. They enjoy music as much as the rest of us do. So it's like a window into her three dimensionality as a character. And we get a similar window into Dayton in Martin telling about how, you know, when you get him drunk enough, he he's able to express his feelings. And it turns out he's completely besotted and is describing this, like this, like Martin says, you wouldn't have recognized the woman he was describing as our hard eyed Hespie. So he's like, You know, this guy is like composing songs in his head and like, you know, spending his private inner moments, you know, extolling the virtues of this woman. And like that tells us a lot about his, you know, internal life as well, that he, despite presenting this kind of macho braggadocio, is also a human being with interiority and feelings and a soft side uh, that he feels like he can't show other people, which is probably why the two of them are suited to each other. (laughs) true that is there anything else we want to cover on this page that we haven't talked about already
1: i'm all done
0: what's in the mailbag bucko today in the mailbag this letter is from snc who writes on "Quoth denna and the friend zone hello pagers on page 465 of the wise men's fear Quoth does the internal monologue about how he's not like other men who seek to own denna and how he doesn't do any of the things he would like to to show his affection for her, and how he'll be the only one she could always return to. In your discussion, you talk about the concept of the friend zone, and Nick says that he thinks it's wrong for people to pretend to be friends with someone else when they really seek to be their romantic partner. My feelings about this aspect of the book have changed over time. When I read the book for the first time as a younger person, I took quotes selfless and noble motives basically at face value. Now I see this whole act he does as being self-righteous and somewhat cowardly and believe that the idea that he's satisfied with his current relationship with Denna is a cope. I know he's young and in love for the first time, scared to lose one of the few close relationships that he has. But at the end of the day, he should be honest about his feelings of love for Denna and his opinion that none of the other men in her life are good enough for her or just be happy as her friend, even though it's understandable why he doesn't do that. I'm sure Quoth consciously believes that he is being very noble, but Rothfist is much too wise for that to go unchallenged. Quoth has some deep anger and resentments toward Denna, which come out rarely, such as during his fight with her, but are noticeable. Another such moment is at the end of the book, during the scene in which he discusses his relationship with Denna with Sim and Fela. Fela discusses his reputation with the ladies as a potential sticking point, and Quoth retorts by saying he's seen Denna on the arms of ten dozen men. I actually have a theory that his resentment and anger is a subconscious motivation for why Quoth sleeps around so much as a way of getting revenge on Tenna, but making her feel the resentment and anger that he feels about their situation. Do you think this is too uncharitable towards Quoth? Personally, I see it as part of the folly of youth. Thanks for the podcast and hope you're all doing well during this difficult time. Best regards, SNC. I would like to jump in and say I strongly think that is a folly of youth thing. That is something that I remember feeling a lot. Uh, I am certainly... Uh, guilty of of you know friend zoning myself and then feeling resentful of it. It's something that I think uh, you know maybe not all male uh, assigned people, but certainly uh, something that many male assigned people kind of go through. I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think a lot of them are cultural. I think a lot of them are because of the messaging that we see in in a lot of our media, uh, but. I definitely think that uh, it's, I chalk it up to youth. I don't chalk this up to being to like a a tragic flaw of Quoths, And I think that as he gets older and wiser, he perhaps is a bit more clear-eyed about what's going on and the nature of his feelings for Denna. Uh, But it's something that I definitely recognize as being familiar, both to me uh, as someone who was male assigned and just like wider in the way that like young male people tend to I don't want to say tend to because obviously not everybody goes through this, but like it's it's a common experience, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the things that makes Quoth a good character is that he has these relatable like flaws, and like you know he does stuff that is if if he does like deliberately sleep around kind of to, to throw it in Denna's face a little bit, that's not like a nice thing to do or a good thing to do necessarily, but it is a very relatable human thing to do that a lot of people have done and will do.
0: Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that I think he, if he is doing it, he doesn't admit to himself that that's part of it.
2: Yeah. He might not even like be aware of it on a conscious level but that, that that that's a motivation he has for doing it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Not to let him off the hook, but I do think that he emerges with like a geese on him uh, from Felorian. So I do think that there is some level of uh, juju at work where Kvoth is compelled to do that to some degree. Perhaps. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Jordana, do you have anything you want to add? Uh,
1: No. No, I think you guys pretty much covered it. I think we've gone over all the things.
0: Well, then I will just say that was the last letter in the bag. So listeners, uh, we're back. We have uh, written or we have posted quite a few episodes since coming back. So if you haven't written us a letter yet to comment on some of our new tomfoolery, I urge you to do so. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love getting your letters. It's become a uh, important part of the ritual, a regular part of the show, you might say. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, it is better for it. So please... Write your letters to page of the wind at gmail.com. Uh, inshallah, by the time this is posted, I will have finally finished updating the website, but no promises. So the best place to do that is page of the wind at gmail.com. And uh, if you want, like the show and you want to support us with uh, a little bit of your change, uh, a little goes a long way. Obviously, nobody gets into podcasting to make money, but uh, the show does cost us a little bit to produce. So if you would like to support the show, you can do that by going to slash page of and donating as little as $1, which will get you access to the entire backlog of patron episodes, uh, as well as uh, at higher tiers, you can access some of Jordana's fantastic uh, original art. Uh, You can get uh, monthly merch shipped to you, as well as a direct line to some of our uh, polls, and uh, just uh, the burgeoning community that's springing up around page of the wind and also uh if you're not interested in rewards you can just give us a tip at ko-fi uh which i believe is uh ko-fi.com slash page of the wind you can buy us a sound in there
2: mm. and we will hoist it high on tomorrow's page of
0: the wind